Okay, good morning. We sang God is so good. He answers prayer. Uh, wonderful truth. He's coming soon. Uh, Brother Ray, that's a wonderful truth. Thank you, Zachary, for leading us in that song. Let's take our Bibles this morning, please. Uh, turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 is uh, Stephen's wonderful sermon that he preached to the Sanhedrin. Of course, he has an opportunity, Brother Ray, to preach to the Sanhedrin uh, because he's been arrested for, well, preaching. <laughs> and uh, we see this back here in Acts chapter 6. Look, look back there for a moment, please. Uh, Acts chapter 6, uh, verse 9, Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called Synagogue of the Libertines, uh, and others, uh, disputing of Stephen, they were not able to resist the wisdom uh, and spirit by which he spake. They were convicted by his preaching, uh, the preaching of the word of God. The well, word of God does not return void. So they were convicted. Uh, verse 11, then they suborned men, which said, we have heard him speak blasphemies. This is dishonest. Uh, blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Now, uh, Peter will, uh, not Peter, rather Stephen will address that accusation, that false accusation rather directly uh, in his sermon to the Sanhedrin. Verse 12, they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him uh, and brought him to the council. And now we're assuming the council would be the Sanhedrin. That would be the case typically. Verse 13, set up false witnesses. They built a false case against him, which said, this man ceases. He doesn't stop speaking blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. So uh, evidently, they're there uh, at or near the temple, and so um, Stephen has now been accused both of speaking blasphemous words against Moses uh, and against the temple and the law. So uh, those are three charges that are brought against him, blasphemy against Moses, the temple, uh, and the law. He'll answer these uh, charges uh, rather directly uh, in his message of the next chapter. See verse 14, we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place, the temple, uh, and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And now verse 15, all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face uh, as it had been the face of an angel. Very interesting. Let's stop there and pray, and then I want to move right into chapter 7, uh, the 53 verses of chapter 7 are uh, Stephen's response to these false charges uh, before the Sanhedrin there at, at Jerusalem. Let's stop and pray, please. Father, God, we thank you this morning for your words. We thank you for the, the privilege to understand them um, with the aid of thy spirit. Lord, we thank you for Stephen's um, humble, faithful response uh, to the trial that you permitted. You permitted him to be arrested and falsely accused, uh, Lord, no doubt, so that he might have the privilege to preach truth uh, to the Sanhedrin. And Lord, we thank you this morning for that, the reminder that you use trials for good purposes, uh, sometimes for our benefit, uh, sometimes for the benefit of others sometimes for your honor and your glory. And of course, we can see that this morning, and I thank you. Lord, I thank you for your strength this morning. I pray you'd um, help me to know that, and Lord, that my thoughts and words would be yours. I, I pray for each hearer now. Help us, Father, to uh, have hearts to receive your words, to understand them. Lord, encourage us by them this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Uh, so let's jump right in. We're in Acts chapter 7 here. Uh, picture Stephen. He's been uh, arrested, falsely accused, dragged uh, to the Sanhedrin in, in Jerusalem, uh, there in the vicinity uh, of the temple. Uh, and he is facing now this wonderful privilege to uh, just speak truth, uh, the truth the Sanhedrin. Now, uh, he will address the, as I've said at least once now, he will address the charges that have been brought against him. And it's very interesting that the charges that have been brought against him uh, would seem to reflect the hearts and the understanding of the people that brought the charges. They're false charges, but uh, in a sense, it's kind of the truth of those people, you know, not actual truth, but it's, it reflects uh, their understanding of, of Stephen and of Christ. Uh, and uh, how uh, history kind of factors into uh, what was the present uh, for them in, in their day. Uh, Stephen will address the fact, you know what, I've, I've not blasphemed Moses, I've not uh, blasphemed the temple, I've not blasphemed the law. Uh, he'll address these things, and in his response, Zach, it would seem to be the case that he wants them to understand that uh, what he's what he's teaching and preaching really it's not yes it's change in a sense but uh, it's 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 change in the sense that Christ came to fulfill uh, the law and and all that had been pictured in the law and having fulfilled that he uh, has brought in a a new covenant that is better than the old Stephen will at least allude to that but what he wants them to understand is uh, really uh, this change. Uh, moving from the old covenant to the new covenant, moving from the law to grace, moving from the, the, the temple as the place of worship to the local assembly as the place of worship. Uh, this is um, God's plan now. And uh, Brother Ray, he wants the people to understand that, hey, you know what? God's ways, God hasn't changed over time, but his place of worship is, has, there we go, has, uh, the way he's been worshipped has changed. God has seen fit to change those things over time. And, and so if God has changed the way that he's been worshipped and the place that he's been uh, worshipped over time, they shouldn't necessarily be surprised that God might change that again. Again, moving from the temple with sacrifices uh, to the local church uh, without sacrifices. It's a change. Uh, it's a change, and God has changed the place uh, and the means of worship in the past. So uh, we'll get in and see Stephen defend himself here and bring these truths forward. Uh, let me pray, please, and we'll jump in. Father, thank you again. Thank you again for your words. I pray you help us now uh, to see your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. So look at verse 7, uh, chapter 7, forgive me, verse 1, the high priest uh, questions Steve, simple question, uh, then said the high priest, are these things so? Uh, these accusations that have been brought against you that have caused your arrest, are they true? Uh, are they true? And uh, Stephen jumps right in here. The first thing he wants them to understand is that their legalistic focus on the law and the temple, it's faulty. Uh, it's faulty. Uh, if, if the old covenant and the law wasn't uh, faulty in a sense, there'd be no need for a new covenant and, and, and grace. Uh, but their, their focus is faulty, it's wrong. They don't understand, uh, as we said, that God can work through other means and in other places uh, as he has in the past. 
Uh, Stephen seems to understand that so long as the, the, the Jewish leaders remain focused on the law and the temple, they would not accept grace uh, and the local church. So again, he reminds them uh, that in the past, God has worked in other ways and other places, and uh, this is simply um, uh, another change that God has ordained. Now, he begins going back to uh, Jewish history, uh, and all the way back to Abraham, who of course will be critically important in the Jewish understanding of, of their faith. Uh, he goes all the way back to Abraham to make the point that God began working out his plan for his people uh, before the law. Uh, Abraham, of course, lived before the law uh, and prior to the temple. Abraham ne had neither a tabernacle uh, nor a temple. He lived before the law was given. So uh, Stephen will remind them, hey, you know what? Uh, there was a time when the law wasn't. <laughs> it hadn't been given. And there was a time before the temple, even before the tabernacle, uh, and yet God was working through men. So God had a way. He changed it a couple of times, and he's changing it again. Uh, verse 2, he says, uh, men, and men, brethren, and fathers, uh, hearken, listen carefully. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham uh, when he was in Mesopotamia, back home, before the Lord had directed him to leave home, uh, before he dwelt in Quran, uh, and said unto him, verse, two, uh, verse 3, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, uh, and come into the land which I shall show thee. He didn't tell him the whole plan. He just said, get up and get moving. Uh, tonight, Lord willing, at 6, Zach will preach a message about faith. Uh, this would have taken some faith, Brother Ray. God said, get up and get moving. I'll, I'll guide you, direct you as you go. That would take some real faith. Verse 4, then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Karen. Uh, and from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein ye now dwell. Yeah, uh, what great act of faith. Abraham uh, began in another place without the law, without temple or tabernacle. God worked through him uh, to begin putting into place a plan to deal with uh, his people. Verse 5, Stephen continues, he uh, he, God, gave him, uh, Abraham, none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set foot on, yet he promised that he would give it uh, to him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. And, of course, you remember the account of, of God ultimately giving him a child. God spake on this wise, verse 6, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them uh, evil 400 years, um, of course, that, that was realized. Verse 7, a nation to whom they shall be in bondage. Will I judge, said God, and after that they shall come forth and serve me in this place. Well, you know, that happened, didn't it? Uh, people were uh, carried off into captivity. In verse 8, he gave him the covenant of circumcision uh, that people didn't always have circumcision as a token uh, of a uh, Abrahamic covenant. They didn't always have that. God, God required that at a point in time, at a certain place uh, in history uh, as a picture, a token of God's covenant with Abraham. Uh, verse 8, so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat the twelve uh, patriarchs. And so Stephen is reviewing the law and pointing out that God has changed uh, the place of his attention, the, the way of approaching him, uh, the means by which he was worshipped. Uh, it wasn't always the law and the temple in Jerusalem. And so, again, they should not be surprised if God is making a change again. Uh, this is the point. Well, Stephen makes the next stop on his 
review of, of the history, his next stop along the historical timeline, he, he reminds them of Joseph. And uh, I think his intention here is a little bit different. He's, he's now bringing in the idea that uh, although God has had his man, different men at different points along the historical timeline, uh, man has had a tendency to reject God's man. Uh, others, the, God's people, have had a tendency to reject God's man. Uh, and why, why would Stephen uh, point out that uh, God's people had rejected uh, certain of God's men, uh, including first Joseph and then Moses, most rejected more than once by God's people? Uh, why, why would Stephen bring this point out? Well, Brother Ray, I think he wants them to, be, to see that just as God's people have rejected God's man in the past, uh, the people living in the first century, no different in, in that sense, uh, they've rejected the God-man sent by God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, they shouldn't be surprised that they kind of missed God's plan and rejected God's man. Uh, in this case, again, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. They should understand that they've just kind of been given over to the natural inclination of God's people as seen throughout history. Now, if they could see that, they could say, oh yeah, uh, sure enough, we could see that in history, we could see that in uh, recent history, and say, we, we better really stop and think about this. Sure enough, God has changed his plan over time, uh, dispensationally, uh, and uh, sure enough, God's people have tended to reject God's man. Uh, maybe we've done that too. This, this would seem to be the idea. So uh, verse 9, he uh, again brings up the idea that um, Joseph, God's man, if you will, uh, had been rejected, uh, his brothers. So you see here in verse 9, the patriarchs moved with envy. They sold Joseph into Egypt. You remember that. Uh, but God was with him. Amen. The Lord's with us no matter what trial we are facing. That's good news. Amen. Uh, and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. What an amazing thing. Little Joseph is sold into slavery in Egypt uh, and ends up finding favor with the Pharaoh and becoming sort of the Pharaoh's right-hand man uh, and being greatly used of God in Egypt uh, to provide for his family who had sold him into slavery. What an amazing thing. What an amazing uh, demonstration of God's sovereignty, Brother Ray, to uh, provide for his people. Made him governor uh, over Egypt and all his house. Well, let's, let's keep going here. Uh, see in verse 11, Lord here works uh, in the rejection of Joseph, the rejection of Joseph, uh, to deliver the family from famine. Uh, and again, the idea here is just as God worked through the rejection of Joseph to provide for his people physically, God has worked through the rejection of Christ to provide for his people spiritually. Uh, if Christ hadn't been rejected, he wouldn't have gone to the cross and would not have been able to provide for his people spiritually, to provide for uh, the forgiveness of sin, to provide for our salvation. Joseph, of course, is a picture of that. God's man rejected, uh, ultimately was able to provide for his people physically. Well, that's a, that's a clear picture of Christ. Only Christ provided for us spiritually. So uh, Stephen, again, wants the Sanhedrin to understand, hey, listen, uh, we see this trend, this, this tendency in history. God, God has, has allowed this in order that you might see this, to see this tendency and to understand you've done the same thing uh, in your day. So see verse 11, now there came a dearth 
over all the land of Egypt and Canaan in great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. This was the famine of, of Joseph's day. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, that's Joseph's father, he sent uh, out our fathers first and uh, the, Joseph's brothers. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred, the brothers, was made known unto Pharaoh. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew uh, and multiplied in Egypt. Some of the family came down into Egypt uh, to be provided for physically. Um, eventually, there was a new king who, who did not uh, know Joseph. Verse 18, verse 19, the same dealt subtly with our kindred and entreated uh, our fathers. And of course, the, God's answer to that was to raise up another man, Moses. Not a perfect man, but God's man nonetheless. God raised up Moses. Uh, God, God raised up Joseph to bring people down into Egypt to provide for them there. Time goes by. It's time for them to depart, to go into the land that had been promised to Abraham. God raises up Moses. Uh, Moses will lead them out of that land. But uh, the people reject Moses on more than one occasion. And uh, again, Stephen wants them to understand, hey, this is, this is a natural tendency to reject God's man. He wants them to see that uh, and apply that learning, that sort of principle of human nature uh, to interpreting their understanding of they've rejected the Messiah, God's man in, the, in their day, the, the one who was pictured by all of the previous rejections uh, of God's man. So, uh, we'll see here now, beginning in verse 20, uh, Stephen reviews the account of Moses' life uh, and, and ultimately his rejection, uh, the rejection of God's man who was sent to deliver God's people. So see here in verse 20, Stephen reviews the birth of Moses. Zach, you, you covered some of this in last Sunday night's message, right? Uh, verse 20, it was, sorry, let me try that again. Uh, verse 20, in which time Moses was born, uh, was exceeding fair, he was handsome lad, Brother Ray, <laughs> and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, the Pharaoh's daughter took him up. Zach covered that. Uh, and nourished him uh, for or as her own son. Verse 22, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. So God sovereignly placed Moses into the Pharaoh's family, his home, uh, so that he, well, for a variety of reasons, but uh, one, of course, would be so that he would have a relationship with the Pharaoh and so that he would have access to the Pharaoh to call upon him to let God's people go. You ever stop and think about that? I mean, lots of reasons why God uh, allowed for Moses to be caught up by Pharaoh's daughter and brought into Pharaoh's uh, home. Uh, he would need to have a relationship with Pharaoh so that the um, events at the end of the uh, the people's uh, sojourn, if you will, in Egypt could, could come to pass. Well, at least that was God's way for those things to, to pan out. Uh, so verse 23, Stephen reviews the first rejection of Moses. Uh, the, the first rejection of Moses, beginning in verse 23, when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Uh, Moses went back to see his people. Uh, you know, left the palace, went back to see his people, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him uh, and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. Remember, he kind of snapped, defended, jumped in. Uh, he saw one of the Egyptians mistreating uh, one of God's people and uh, most ended up killing that man and, and burying him in sand, hide, hiding the body. Uh, he supposed his brethren would have understood, verse 25, how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. 
Moses thought that the people would quickly understood, understand that uh, God was using him to deliver the people out of Egypt, but uh, the Bible says here, and you, and you know this, they understood not. They didn't get it at first. Uh, just the same way when, when Christ came uh, to deliver the people from the consequence of sin, Brother Ray, they understood not. The vast majority of them understood not. Uh, Moses is a picture of this. And Stephen wants the Sanhedrin again to understand, hey, just exactly as people have missed God's man in the past, and this is exactly as they've missed God's plan in the past, you need to understand, you guys have done the same thing. Uh, don't, you know, be, be instructed by what happened in the past and understand that, uh, see, see your actions through the same lens. You've done the same thing. Verse 26, the next day he showed himself uh, unto them as they strove and would have set them at once again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye uh, wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Uh, will thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? So those that had seen him kill the Egyptian and hide his body, they, you know, they, they, weren't, they weren't impressed. They, did, they didn't get it. They didn't get Moses' intentions. Verse 29, then Moses, then fled Moses at his saying and was a stranger uh, in the land of Madian or, or Midian in the Old Testament uh, where he begat two sons. Uh, his fleeing away or his uh, perception that he needed to flee away may, may picture uh, Joseph and Mary and young Jesus uh, needing to flee out of the promised land temporarily as well, which is interesting. Well, Stephen goes on and he continues to review the, the case of Moses and beginning in verse 30, it's the call of Moses. Now remember, uh, one of the reasons that he's choosing to focus on Moses, Zach, is that he was accused of blaspheming Moses, right? Uh, and they might have meant the person, they, they might have meant um, the Pentateuch, the law. They understood Moses had authored the entire Pentateuch, the first five books. Uh, so verse 30, when and when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. You remember that. When Moses saw it, verse 31, he wondered at the sight. And as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, verse 32, I am, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled, I'll bet he did, and durst not behold, uh, didn't dare look. Verse 33, then said the Lord to him, put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. God is perfectly holy, and uh, if he comes to a certain place in a special way, that's going to be a holy place. Uh, verse 34, I have seen, I have seen the affliction. God says to, to Moses, I've seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I've heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now, come, I will send thee into Egypt. Let me stop there for a moment and say this. God knows the suffering of his people, brother Ray. Isn't that good? Zach, isn't that good? God knows the suffering of his people. When you're hurting, God knows that. It's not a secret to him. Uh, Zach, we have a compassionate God, amen? We have a compassionate Lord. He's called us to the same compassion. And of course we can because of Christ, as, as Zach revealed or <laughs> reviewed, I should say, for us last week. You didn't reveal any Bible truth, did you? You just you reviewed it, amen, amen. Uh, praise God, he, he reviewed it for us. Um, Verse 35, this Moses whom they refused 
They refused God's man, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him uh, in the bush, the burning bush that was not consumed. So, yeah, uh, you guys rejected, you know, our forefathers rejected God's man and God's plan. And men of the Sanhedrin, you've done the same. You've done the same. You've done the same. Stephen reviews the fact that Moses, uh, next, the one who they had rejected, uh, actually did deliver the people out of Egypt. People rejected him, but he graciously delivered them uh, out of Egypt. Of course, God was a great helper in all of that. Verse 36, he, Moses, brought them out. After that, he had showed wonders and signs. God did that in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea, and most certainly he did, and in the wilderness 40 years. All true. Uh, Moses was rejected, and yet um, God used Moses to deliver the people physically uh, from sinful Egypt. And uh, Christ uh, had been rejected by the people, and nonetheless, God used Christ, God the Father used Jesus Christ, God the Son, to deliver the people from the consequences of their sin. Uh, God used the rejection of Christ uh, to accomplish that. This is all pictured by Moses, by Joseph, uh, and by Moses. And uh, Stephen wants the, the council to understand this. You rejected Christ, but his mission, uh, the reason he came, has still been accomplished, just exactly as it was in the case of Moses. Uh, what's the implication, by the way? What's the implication for the Jewish men of the Sanhedrin who had rejected Christ. Well, I think the implication is very simple. Because uh, Christ was rejected and, and um, completed his mission, his purpose for coming, uh, the grace that was made available, the forgiveness, Brother Ray, that was made available at the cross was available to them, right? They rejected Christ. They were complicit in his crucifixion, that was God's plan. <laughs> that was still God's plan. And the, the grace of forgiveness is available even to them, even to them. And that's a good message. That's, that's an important message. Uh, his mission has been accomplished, and the forgiveness that's made possible by Christ, the blood and the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection, it's, it's for them, uh, the, specifically for those who have rejected him, for all of them. Well, Stephen continued regarding Moses, same Moses who they rejected is the one who actually prophesied the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is interesting. Remember, uh, Stephen was accused of blaspheming Moses. He says, you know what? Um, Moses actually prophesied the Messiah that you've been so offended by uh, and that consequently rejected. Moses actually prophesied this Messiah. So if that's true, if I'm preaching that Messiah, that Moses, remember their emphasis on Moses, Moses prophesied, Moses spoke of the same one. So how could it be that you hold to Moses who prophesied the Messiah, if I'm speaking to the same Messiah, regarding the same Messiah, how could it be that I'm blaspheming Moses? He's exposing a logical flaw in their case against him. It's, it's faulty factually, it's faulty logically, it's faulty theologically. Uh, and he wants them to see this. So he says in verse 37, uh, this is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, a prophet 
shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, uh, him shall ye hear. So Jesus is a prophet. There's, he, there's a sense. All the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the prophecies of the prophets and of the um, the, 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 the pictures or, or type of the office of prophet. Uh, Christ came as the final ultimate prophet. Uh, and he came uh, unto them as one of their brethren. Yeah, uh, the son of Mary. The son of Mary, biological son of Mary, uh, legal son of Joseph, uh, of their brethren. Like unto, like unto me, end of verse 37, him shall uh, ye hear. Uh, back in Acts 3, earlier in Acts 3, just flip back there real fast. Uh, Acts 3 and verse 22, Peter uh, had earlier preached for Moses, it's Acts 3.22, for Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up uh, and you of your brethren like unto me, him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. You don't need to turn back there, but you want, maybe we want to make a note, that's Deuteronomy 18, Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, verses 15, 16, well, 15 through 19 would really be the passage. Uh, Deuteronomy 15 verses 18, forgive me, Deuteronomy 18 verses 15 through 19, uh, that's, that's where Moses uh, spake this prophecy, which I think we could agree at least alluded to, <laughs> alluded to Christ. That's Stephen's point. Moses spoke of, of the coming Messiah. He pictured a coming Messiah. He spoke of a coming Messiah. So let's go gentle on the idea that I'm blaspheming Moses. This was the suggestion. Uh, verse 38, this is he, Stephen says, of Moses that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him uh, in Mount Sinai and with our fathers and who received the lively oracles. Lively oracles is an interesting phrase. Make a note in your Bible. Could have been translated living words the lively oracles of God to give unto us, the living words of God. Uh, of course, good cross-reference cross reference be Hebrews 4.12, and I'll bet you know that verse. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit uh, and the joints of the marrow and discern of thoughts and uh, intents of the heart. Word of God is quick. It's alive. It's alive spiritually. Somehow the words of God are alive. And um, in verse 38, Stephen spoke a similar um, phrase, he, the words that God gave to Moses, he calls them lively oracles, living words. Word of God is alive. Uh, unlike any other written words throughout history, there is a, a spiritual aliveness. Is that a word, Zach? Aliveness? We can make it a word? Uh, that no other words have, have possessed. Uh, and so Stephen's saying, listen, um, God revealed to Moses this, this same Messiah that you have rejected. Let's go a little bit further here. We'll stop. Uh, verse 39, Stephen begins to review that, hey, this is the same Moses and his God who was, again, uh, twice now, rejected by the people when he was on the, on the mount receiving those lively oracles, those words from the Lord. When Moses was up there uh, receiving the, the commandments uh, from the Lord, people were down below rejecting Moses and really his God, Verse 39, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt. They did, saying unto Aaron, uh, make us gods to go before us, false gods. <laughs> and for, uh, for as, let me try again, for as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not, we know not what's become of him. We don't know where he is, what's become of him. Maybe I buried him. 
uh, and they made a calf. Remember the golden calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. They rejoiced in the works of their own hands. They were rejecting uh, God for sure, but uh, they, in their hearts, were more focused on their rejection of Moses, the one that God had sent to deliver them. So Moses rejected once and twice, sure enough. And Stephen reviews the consequences that the Lord uh, prescribed uh, when the people rejected Moses and his Lord uh, and began to worship that false god, the idol, the golden calf. Verse 42, uh, then God turned, um, the idea of repentance, and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. Uh, host is an army of heaven. This probably refers to uh, those things which are found in the second heaven, the sun, the moon, and the stars, Brother Ray. So they, people chose to uh, have Aaron create a, an idol. And, you know, as they began to worship that idol, evidently they, that just kind of set the stage for them to take up more and more false worship. By the way, that's what happens. People turn away from the Lord and they take up an error and then it becomes just that much easier to, to glom on more error, if you will. People worship golden calf. Next thing you know, they're worshiping everything under the sun, including the sun. Um, they worship, they, God gave them up. He permitted it. And the people have free will, uh, as much as God permits, at least, um, to worship the host of heaven, the sun, moon, stars. Um, there's probably a, a, something a sort of astrology-like here, Brother Ray. That, that's astrology is... Modern astrology is uh, inherited from the very ancient practice of worshiping sun, moon, stars. It's sinful, of course. Uh, as it is written in the book of the prophets, he um, points back to Amos 5. Make a, just make a note. We won't turn there. Amos 5, 25, 26, 27. He calls it the book of the prophets, um, which could be sort of a generic reference to all of the minor prophets, or he might just be saying, hey, this, this particular book of the prophets, Amos 5, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch, uh, false god, and the star of your god, Remphan, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. So, uh, of course, the, the prophets, uh, what was their constant message? Hey, uh, Israel, if you don't repent of your idolatry and, and forsake your idolatry and, and turn back to the Lord, the one true God, you'd suffer consequences. And, and Brother Ray, they were always warning of the captivity, right? One of the consequences that you'll suffer, uh, chastisement, would be you know, captivity. And Amos, uh, is, Amos uh, prophesied that quite literally, very, very literally. Um, by the way here, he makes reference to, well, Stephen made reference to Moloch. Um, Moloch uh, was false god, of course, and um, it was, it's horrible, but um, the, Moloch was worshipped in part by sacrificing children to him. So there would be a big um, uh, picture or statue of Moloch and it had a big gaping mouth, and uh, children would be fed into the mouth of Moloch and, and go down into... Uh, the, the, the internal part of that idol, and it would die there, uh, is incredibly, incredibly um, wicked. Um, 
nonetheless, uh, <laughs> incredibly wicked. And um, you know, people looked at that and the history of Moloch worship and say, you know, it's, it, it's shocking how parents could give up their children uh, in, to be used in, in this way. But it goes to the, the depth of the depth of evil that is possible when people turn away from the Lord. These people who knew who the Lord was, but it, once they, they took one step away from the Lord and another step and another step, next thing you know, they're sacrificing their children uh, to a false god. Lord, help us to stay close to you. Lord, Lord help us to stay close to you. Um, <laughs> we understand the, the con- you'll, you'll, you'll permit us to take many steps away from you if, if we choose to do that. Lord, help us. Uh, if, you, if you've taken a step or two away from the Lord this morning, uh, confess that and ask him for grace and strength to, to turn back. Uh, turn back. Um, we'll stop there this morning for, for time's sake, but um, please, please understand, again, the overriding theme here is uh, Stephen is taking advantage of, his, of the trial that God has allowed to preach and teach the same Jewish leaders who rejected Christ. He sees this as an opportunity uh, to advance the cause of Christ, uh, to make a case for Christ, and to help them see uh, men, of, men of Israel in this day, in their day, you've rejected God's man and God's way just the same way our forefathers have. And if they could see that, um, Stephen understands, as, as the Holy Spirit has guided his words here, no doubt he understands that uh, it, if, if they could see how the history applies to their own choices in their day, they, there might be some conviction in that. Hey, maybe we've done the same thing. Maybe we just take a deep breath, step back, consider Christ again, uh, examine the, the prophecies and the fulfillment in, in this man, um, lest they miss out on the salvation that he came to offer. Let's stop there and pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, this morning for uh, Stephen's example of faithfulness uh, in the face of a great trial. Lord, thank you for his um, perseverance in just uh, preaching and staying close to your words and and the history of your people. And um, Lord, for his great example of boldness and courage from you, uh, just to keep on, keep on leading people toward Christ uh, despite the potential consequences. I pray this morning, Father, that you'd give us the same heart. And Lord, uh, that we would look to you for grace and strength and courage from you uh, to do the same. Lord, when there's a temptation to not share Christ because of fear, Lord, that you would cry out the fear. You've not given us a spirit of fear. Lord, that you cried out the fear, help us to put that off and, and to put on faith in its place, that we might just continue uh, in faithfulness to you. Lord, I pray this morning that we also be reminded that Stephen used your words uh, to lead these men back toward Christ. And I pray you'd remind us this morning to do the same. Lord, we can share a testimony uh, and use that to open a door, but ultimately it's your words and the Holy Spirit working uh, in and through your words that brings conviction and opens eyes to the truth of Christ across the gospel. Lord, help us not forget that. Help us to be a people who would know your words and use them as we share the gospel. Lord, I love you this morning. I love you this morning. Thank you 
uh, so much for the privilege to teach these words, uh, for the reminders that, um, important reminders that we find here this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray you continue to work with us, be with us, and work in our hearts throughout the day today. I pray that we'd be uh, asking you to help us examine our hearts. Lord, that you'd search our hearts as we uh, anticipate celebrating Lord's Supper tonight in our 6 o'clock service. Pray you'd be with Zach today as he's uh, anticipating preaching tonight in that same service. Lord, just help him be prepared, and uh, as, he, as he always is. And Lord, that you would just um, use him tonight as, as you wish. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name.